0: welcome to the Annie Monday podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill.
1: And I'm Kayla Hempel.
0: On our show we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. We're here for a special episode. Woo! Yeah <laughs> uh, as you can see from the title and from Kayla's enthusiasm <laughs> we're talking about Neon Genesis Evangelion today. Woo! <laughs> Uh, the other notable thing here is that we are completely going off the cuff. Yeah. So we, we have no notes. We have no <laughs> idea what we're going to talk about. Yeah. We're just going to have a little kind of fluid discussion here. Yeah. So this could go forever or it might be very <laughs> short.
1: <laughs> we will see.
0: Actually, our entire show uh, up to this point has been pre-written. <laughs> We actually have a script Mm -hmm. every week.
1: Shout out to our great writers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good team. (laughs) We fired them all, though. (laughs) All right. So a lot of this uh, kind of discussion, Mm -hmm. we have we've talked about this show quite a bit before, Mm -hmm. as have every other podcast that relates to anime. Yep. So, I think what we don't want to do is just talk about, like, ooh, what does all this symbolism mean? Yeah. That's been done uh, a lot. <laughs> Plenty of people have talked about what Evangelion is, mm-hmm. all the weird kind of stuff that's going on mm-hmm. in it, and how it all fits together, mm-hmm. and about the cool robots, <laughs> and about how this show kind of informed so much anime that came after it. Uh, including us, we talked about it a little bit during the Origins episode. Yeah. Of how I've had a a pretty long history with this show of enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah. And you, not so much.
1: Not so much.
0: Do you want to start off by talking about your history with Evangelion <laughs> and how we have come to this point?
1: I, I would. Um, I think this was really hard for you that I came into our relationship with a deep dislike for the show. Um, so my history goes back probably 10 years or so. And my exposure started, uh, I was over at a friend's house and they had what they told me was Evangelion on and I watched it and I was <laughs> deeply disturbed by what I was seeing. I would later find out that I was actually watching the movie that came after the series. And for those of you that know anything about Evangelion, you would understand why I had a very big aversion to the series as a whole and why I was so not interested in watching this. And something that I think is important to note is that I am very sensitive to things that are scary and to things that are disturbing in nature, especially when it comes to, like, body stuff. Um, I am very squeamish. (laughs) And so that movie played a lot on my fears and a lot of my discomfort. And I had nightmares about it for a long time. Um, I would say at least a couple years after watching that movie, I had nightmares. And so I had no interest in watching this show. And that kind of worked out for me because Evangelion is notoriously hard to find.
0: Right, which brings us to today, where <laughs> Netflix has graced us with the entirety of the series mm-hmm. and the movie. In a brand new English dub, brand new subtitling, and there's a lot of controversy going around about those. Yes. But go read some Polygon and Kotaku articles. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is the first time it's really legally available in... Anywhere outside of Japan, basically. Yeah. I think there were DVD sales for a little while and finding copies of those is basically impossible. Mm-hmm. And so people have just been torrenting this show for decades now.
1: Which I'm super opposed to. So even when even when I was somewhat willing to rewatch some of this show I really didn't want to watch it illegally or anything like that. So we haven't watched it for years.
0: Well, that only partially excuses you. Sure. Because uh, they later in like the the 2000s did a sort of reboot project called The Rebuild of Evangelion. Mm Mm-hmm where they have taken the original series and they have planned to turn it into four films. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have the first three because they're available right now and they're currently working on the fourth one.
1: Yeah. Uh, I do mean somewhat willing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sure. So I think it kind of begs the question is, how did we get here? How did we get to a point where I was willing to watch the show and uh i can't say i was above being bribed
0: yeah i mean so a big part of it is probably our podcast yes just the fact that we talk about so much anime right now and evangelion's just part of that lexicon Mm -hmm. and anytime you talk about mech shows it has to come up and we ended up watching a lot of mech (laughs) shows early on in the podcast yes so the idea of this show kept coming up, and then Netflix kind of out of the blue makes this announcement that they have gone through all the trouble of getting the licensing done, mm-hmm. and I think it just kind of was the perfect storm of things. Yep. Also, I promised to give you good popcorn.
1: Which you followed through on, so yeah. good job.
0: Uh, well, we tend to, to think that our show is kind of a beginner-friendly podcast for anime fans and non-anime fans Uh, so we tend to go into details that uh, other podcasts might skip over because there's kind of an assumption that you know all this stuff do you think we should talk a little bit about Evangelion and and why it's such a big deal it's on Netflix
1: (laughs) yeah I think that would be important to understand
0: so it was a a hugely popular show that came out in the mid-90s and, again, it was notoriously hard to get in the States. And uh, what's kind of important about Kayla's story with the show is that it was a, like, 26-episode series. And over the course of the production of that series, the creator, Hideaki Anno, uh, was kind of in this deep depression and was experiencing a lot of um, mental health trauma, and just trying to deal with all of his stuff. And this show was really kind of an expression of, of what he was going through at the time. And you can definitely see that in the characters, especially the main character, Shinji. And by the end of production, uh, things were so bad that the last two episodes are kind of infamous for this show. They are essentially just like sort of existential, psychological explorations, there's a lot of, like, flashing title cards and characters monologuing about their philosophical outlook on life and things like that. It's very strange, and it kind of ends in a way that doesn't resolve the actual, like, mech part of things that's been happening throughout the whole show. And this ended in a lot of fans of the show getting really upset because they didn't feel like they had the ending to the action-packed like mech anime that they had wanted all along and the the creator and the studio and everyone involved stands behind those episodes um but it didn't stop quote unquote fans from sending in death threats and all sorts of things uh to the creators for the the outcome in the end of that show and so That's where the end of Evangelion comes from. It was a film that was meant to be the quote-unquote real ending to the show. And more or less, it was kind of like a a big screw you to all of the people who had been so mean about it. Um, Because it's not the real ending. It dives very deep into some of the darker parts of the show and kind of takes that up to eleven which is why it's not a good starting point no, (laughs) by any stretch of the word.
1: So I think part of my being able to come back and visit this show again is, one, having that context of understanding what I was watching and what place it had in the entire series – um, I think that helped me kind of say, like, oh, I can understand that somebody would have that kind of response to, you know, people that claim that they're fans of something that I worked really hard to create. Um, Also, in the last 10 years, I've been um, getting my degree in psychology and and becoming a therapist. And um, I think that's given me a greater appreciation for something that dives so deep into, as you were kind of saying, that existential exploration, um, something that I don't think I really could have processed when I was that young. And so I told Colin that I was... Willing to give it a shot and try again after finding out all the history and after just kind of finding a comfortable place with knowing that it's going to get weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not to say that like the the end of Evangelion is is dark and weird and brutal and the rest of the show is not. Right. It still goes places, um, but there's such a long slow build to how it gets to that place Mm -hmm. and i think easing into that is a big deal yes um but all that to say like this is an actual like big hurdle for you Mm -hmm. it's not just like oh hey i saw this thing 10 years ago i didn't like it so ha 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 i'm not gonna do it again
1: yeah uh as i was saying um I think because of my own struggles with depression and anxiety, and and that I think it was especially hard to revisit something that had also bothered me for so long, um, because diving into that that deep end of that that dark place, that existential question mark. Um, That can just be really challenging, especially when there's already so, so much violence going on and so, so many disturbing things on screen. Um, If I wasn't already bothered by that, I'm also having to deal with the emotional turmoil that's going on with these characters. That is also really heavy.
0: All right. So over the past two weeks or so since the show came out on Netflix... Uh, We've seen about somewhere around 16 episodes. We just got past the kind of like season one sort of uh, turning point for things. I expect like number one, as we mentioned, this hasn't been accessible to people. So I know that there are a lot of people experiencing the show for the first time because they've heard about it for so long. And piracy really dipped Uh, like, in the past few years as streaming services became more popular. So uh, there's a lot of anime fans who have not seen this show. Uh, So as we talk about this, there could be spoilers. We'll probably try to avoid as much as we can. But uh, we do really want to talk about some stuff. And so I would encourage you, just go watch it. Like, you'll know... Fairly soon, if it's for you or not. Yeah. Uh, It's going to be pretty different than mech shows that you've probably seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, But aside from that, uh, of what we've seen so far, what are your thoughts about the characters, the story, all the kind of stuff we generally talk about?
1: Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to put aside what I sort of vaguely remember about the movie and just talk about what I've seen in the show. So I came into the show knowing that there was going to be a lot for me to analyze, and boy howdy (laughs) are there. Um, I think a big driving force in this show is not so much the story, which becomes more clear as, as the show progresses, is that this show is really about the characters. Um, what's going on in the plot is sort of background noise to what's happening inside of these characters and the relationships that they have with one another. That is the most important driving thing that's going on. Um, because as you come to find out the world is starting to try to repair from these angels visiting earth and causing major destruction but also preparing for their inevitable return and the show starts with the first appearance of the angels returning after I think they said 15 years and we experience a lot of the show from Shinji's perspective which is the main character and one of the pilots of the Ava and in the first episode We find him, and he gets thrown into the Ava, and he has to fight an angel, like, immediately. As the story progresses, we learn that Shinji has a long line of different kind of traumas that are going on in his life, and so I see this kid kind of nonchalantly, like, risk his own life, but not in ways that I think we see with a lot of the hero of justice kind of trope, is he doesn't do it because he wants to be a hero or anything. It's really because he sees Ray, another pilot, um, who's critically injured for something that happened off screen before the show started, uh, get summoned to take his place since he's not He's refusing to pilot, and and he sees that, and is like, "Fine, fine," it, you know, to help her, I will, I will do this. And I think that's a lot of Shinji's character is that he is willing to do literally anything to protect other people, and that is something I deeply relate to, as Colin can probably. A test is that I find myself oftentimes reaching out to help other people before I try to take care of myself. And a lot of times that ends up being to my detriment because I don't take care of myself enough. Um, And that is when I really started kind of looking at these characters differently and, in some sense, kind of. Treating them almost like clients or um, just kind of actually looking at them and evaluating them and seeing, like, what are these kids experiencing and what's going on with them?
0: Yeah. And one kind of offhand comment. Uh, there's a lot of terminology in the show that's weird yeah. because biblical references and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, angels are, for all intents and purposes, Aliens, they're big kaiju creatures. Yeah. Monsters. Yeah. And Evas are the robots. Yes. Um, but yeah, I I think something along those lines too is what we see frequently is that Shinji also will go out of his way to make sure he doesn't drag anyone else into his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see this both uh, kind of metaphor metaphorically and also literally there is a scene where uh, there are two civilians who are out in the middle of one of these fights and the only choice that he has is to pick them up in his robot and bring them into the cockpit with him Um, and they get to experience firsthand his struggle of seeing this horrible creature in front of him and having to struggle against it and having to like stab the crap out of it with a big knife Mm -hmm. and he's literally just like screaming at this thing Uh, and it's not this big glorious like big robot battle it's this uh inner turmoil that he's going through and then defeating it and just breaking down
1: uh you were talking about how a lot of people have analyzed all the symbolism and all of that um, I think something that I found myself gravitating towards is understanding the history of the creator and his depression and watching Shinji's character. And something I had noted to you is that as Shinji is fighting these angels, is, it is a lot like dealing with depression um at least in my experience with dealing with depression is that there are times when my depression is kind of overwhelming and there are days when i overcome, you know, a really big struggle or something but i'm not left feeling victorious and awesome and celebrating, you know, i'm i'm left exhausted <laughs> And worn out, and sometimes more sad. <laughs> but, yeah. but I know I accomplished something, you know, that I that I did something good, but there's sort of that inevitability of, I'm just gonna have to do this again. And I think that's something that the Creator kind of sets up with Shinji is that Shinji knows that this isn't over. Um, even when the next angel appears, which is very strange because there was 15 years between the first two angels. And then I think between the next two, it was like 15 days or something like that. He's already accepted it. It's like he already knew that this was going to happen. And he's just sort of like, well, great. Now I have to do this again. And something he didn't want to do. And I see a lot of those connections between that depressive state and what's going on in the story. And for me, a lot of how I experienced this was through the lens of mental health as opposed to the religious symbolism, which is definitely everywhere in the show. And like Colin said, we could go into a lot of depth about it, but I, I think personally for me... I I found myself gravitating towards that mental health message that was I at least a little more subtle throughout
0: something I I also noticed and I appreciate I appreciate about this show and the characters in it are that a lot of the people surrounding Shinji are kind of um are kind of alternate versions of himself mm-hmm. in different mental states uh, so we had talked about how, like, the other two main pilots are Rei, Ayanami, and Asuka. And Asuka, of course, doesn't come until uh, substantially later in the show. But uh, Rei is kind of the person who deals with the same kind of struggles that Shinji does, but has basically given up on it. Uh, doesn't attempt to fight them. Um, just goes through her... Daily life, mm-hmm. does the things she's told to do, and then that's about it. Yeah. Uh, Asuka comes on the scene and is the complete opposite of Shinji's outlook on things. Uh, she's the hotshot pilot. She thinks this is all great fun and just wants to be the best at it and wants to overcome things and is like bothered by the fact that anyone else would pilot these things and not be excited about it. Yeah. And I think while we were watching this, you had kind of talked about like um Shinji looking at both of these people and saying, "Ray is where I see myself going and Oscar is just what I wish I could be."
1: Yeah. Uh something that I wanted to add on about Ray is that not only has she like sort of accepted her lot in life, She's kind of just waiting to die. Um, Every time she gets hurt, if they call her back into the suit, she's like, okay, yeah, this is probably going to kill me, but I'm going to do it. Like, she doesn't care. She does not care if she's going to die or not. And we get to see glimpses into her home where she lives, and it's bleak. There's not much there. It's just her bed and a desk and just trash um, because she just doesn't care. And like you were saying, Asuka is more of this person who sees the obstacles and sees them as things to overcome. That it's something that she is capable of overcoming, and it's something that she desires to overcome. And she has this drive to push through these really horrific things that are definitely happening. Like, you see her get scared and freaked out by things but she just flies through it and shinji oftentimes starts taking on the characteristics of each of them especially asuka the more he experiences her is that i think he he kind of latches on to that hopeful optimism
0: yeah and i think asuka is especially an interesting character because um not that I like identify with her as a character, because <laughs> oh boy, she has her own problems—very big problems. I'm
2: sure.
0: But as somebody who doesn't struggle with mental health issues, uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult to see the things that people are struggling with. Yeah. And she is completely oblivious to Shinji and the kinds of things that he goes through. Yeah. And so it's easy to say, like, well, Asuka has the right idea. She's doing things well, and Shinji just needs to get over himself. <laughs> but, like, obviously that doesn't work. Right. And she's also leading herself down a different path of destruction Yes, by being so overly enthusiastic about mm-hmm. this horrible thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of times she's incredibly reckless with everybody. It's not even just in these mech fights it's also with the relationships that are around her is that she's occasionally causing these waves of destruction um usually because you know she's she is a teenager they're all teenagers um it's not huge waves like most of the adults are kind of like that's cute you know that's fine um but she she can there's one of the first encounters that we have with her is her destroying billions of dollars of government.
0: <laughs> Ships and airplanes. Yeah, and- yeah.
1: And people's lives. Yeah. Um, and I think something that's important for us to point out, too, is that this doesn't just stop with the pilots. All the adults are pretty messed up, too. Besides maybe some minor characters, anyone that we spend a, a good chunk of time with has something going on. There's a lot of dysfunction with with everyone around. And it's it's interesting because everybody is still pretty endearing. Like, I'd probably say the most obnoxious one is Asuka <laughs> just because she acts very entitled and that's just very frustrating in this world of destruction. You're like, how, how can you even feel this way as the world is crumbling down around you? Uh, Another major character is Misato, and she works at Nerve, the place that has the Ava's, and she... It's a
0: subset of the UN.
1: Yeah. (laughs) uh, And she decides to take guardianship of Shinji because she realizes that if she lets him live alone, he's going to turn into Rei, and Rey's kind of a lost cause in her book
0: or he's going to run away which he's prone to is is a meme for sure but <laughs> uh also like sort of what makes him not Ray is that instead of just accepting things he also tends to just run away from his problems
1: something i deeply relate to <laughs> <laughs> um so mizato decides to take him in as a roommate and as a guardian and we quickly find out that she is she's a very interesting woman because while she is actually really high functioning at her job, she's brilliant. Um she is a commander, captain, lieutenant, major.
0: It changes over the course of the show. I I don't remember the ranks exactly.
1: She is high up. Yes. And she is incredibly brilliant when it comes to strategy. Like, she's a big reason why these kids survive is because she's the one calling the shots and coming up with the plan to defeat the Ava's. Like, she's very quick on her feet. She's able to figure out, like, when do they need to retreat? When do they need to go forward? But, man, her home life is a mess. Her relationships are a mess. Um, And she's kind of... Like Asuka, she has this optimistic view of life, though in some areas she's very, very cynical. It's kind of interesting to see the different adults mirror how these kids are and potentially who they could be if they survive all of this.
0: Yeah, I I think that's really interesting. Just in pointing out... That as we know, like kids don't hide who they are or what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. They just act a certain way and that's how they are. And adults have a really good uh, way of concealing what's happening and looking really put together when uh, their job requires it or their communication, their relationships require it. Um, But as soon as she gets home is when things fall apart. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, of of the characters turning into that as adults, um, of being able to put on a good face for the rest of the day and then that not be their, you know, their real life.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of painful to watch this dynamic between the adults and the teenagers because... There's times, especially outside of the Ava fights, where the line between who's the adult and who's the responsible one and who's not gets really blurred. Um, There's a lot of times where Shinji, being very on brand, is taking care of Mizato. Um, He is cleaning up after her. He's preparing food for her because she can't cook. And kind of managing things at home on her behalf.
0: Right, because he basically, since this big event that caused half of the world to be destroyed, has been homeless or somehow managing to survive on his own Mm -hmm. for years.
1: And I think something that we haven't gotten into yet is that part of Shinji coming to Nerve and becoming a pilot is at the beckoning of his father who operates the whole thing and they have a terrible relationship yes he is a lot of who i would see ray becoming um if everybody was to survive that is he's very cold very calculated and is just sort of like well like losses have to be made and this is just what we're doing. He's not inherently evil, I would say. Um, He is just so emotionally disconnected from everything that's happening for reasons that have not been shown. Um, I have ideas, but I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure if they're true or not, or if he's just an emotionally distant person. He treats Shinji like an employee Um, or like a commander would to a A grunt. Yeah, to a grunt. Um, And there is no no affection between Shinji and his father. And that goes both ways. Uh, Shinji is like kind of looking for his dad's approval, but at the same time, like.
0: Does not care.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's already kind of written his dad off and. Like I said, I think there's that that part of him, that that child part of him that is like, maybe, maybe we can like rekindle this because that's something he's desperately looking for is someone to tell him that he's okay.
0: Yeah, and, and is something that he sees in Ray too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will frequently encounter Gendo, his father, um, having a normal conversation with Ray. And the two of them will, like, maybe laugh a little and have just a natural kind of encounter. And you see Gendo risking his own life and body to rescue Rei when she is trapped in the Eva. Mm -hmm. Uh, None of these things he would even remotely begin to do for Shinji, his own son. Uh, And so whenever he sees those interactions happening there's just something in him that still wants that even though on the surface he is uh you know resisting it and he's resisting his relationship with his dad um and basically like every person he meets he asks what do you think about my dad Mm -hmm. like what do you know about him because i don't know anything
1: and it's funny because not a single person answers him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because nobody really knows him, uh, which I think is something that we see a lot in this world is that there is a lot of isolation that's going on between all of these characters. All of these characters, in some way, feel isolated. Um, like we see frequently, we see Ray on her own and how she doesn't have any friends. She lives completely alone, and her only relationship is with Shinji's dad, really. And even when Shinji asks Ray about his dad, she's like, I don't really know him. Like, like it seems like they talk, but it doesn't seem like they talk about anything. Um, and everybody, every person that he asks, they all say, like, I don't really know him or maybe you, maybe you should try to get to know him because he didn't talk to me. Um, and same with Misato, uh, while she seems very personable, like, you know, she's kind of loud and she's, you know, kind of, uh, puts herself out there emotionally is we often see her completely alone. Like, Before Shinji moved in, she lived alone. When we see scenes of her giving orders, she's standing by herself often. The shots are kind of angled in a way where you see that the burden of all of this falls on her shoulders alone. And even her closest friends, she has a lot of conflict with. And all of her closest friends also happen to be her coworkers.
0: Right. (laughs) Uh,
1: One last thing I wanted to go into to kind of wrap up talking about like the story and the characters is um, something I had kind of briefly started talking about with while you're watching Shinji's progression through all of this, you can really see Hideaki Yano's depression, like coming out through Shinji specifically that that you can really tell that he put a lot of himself into Shinji. Um, And something that, I think as somebody that deals with depression was kind of like painful to see is there is this trajectory throughout the story of Shinji coming in and dealing with some of the initial trauma of being in this pilot and having to murder these creatures Um, and kind of getting to this place where he's figuring it out because he is kind of naturally skilled at this. His sync rate with his Ava is naturally very quick and very high while Ray's has struggled uh, throughout however long that she's been, you know, a pilot. And his behavior really starts changing when Asuka comes onto the scene Um, because Asuka is just this big ball of energy, kind of what we were saying before, that she's just sees everything as a challenge for her to overcome and to be successful at and to be the very best pilot that there ever was. And as he has to spend a lot of time with Asuka because she ends up moving into their very small apartment as well, um, he starts to become more relaxed and he starts to become more confident. There's actually a time when he behaves a lot like Asuka and ends up putting himself in a lot of risk because he kind of blew into a, a fight um, without, you know, being as prepared as he needed to be. And we just got to a point where all of that is about to be shattered forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, big spoiler warning.
1: Yeah. Um, Without revealing too much that... Shinji ends up in this impossible situation with um, having to fight off another Ava that had just been recently commissioned without getting a lot of information. He's just told to take out the target and he recognizes that there has to be somebody inside. And so what he's really being asked to do is Not take out an alien, it's to take out a person, and he refuses, and they make his suit do it anyways. They're able to shut down his control of the Ava and put in this sort of, I guess, like...
0: Like an AI, basically. Yeah,
1: yeah, this kind of autopilot thing, and he is trapped inside his own body, watching... This destruction take place, and that is something that i I had a really hard time watching. It was incredibly painful for me because not only was it gruesome to watch, and that was just upsetting, but there's also this whole psychological component that I think, you know, we've kind of talked about at different times, um, being stuck inside of your body and doing things that you know are bad, but for some reason, like you just can't stop doing them. Like you can't stop self-sabotaging. And I think that is so much of the symbolism that he's putting into that moment was Shinji is trapped and essentially in his body. It's the thing that he's controlling and he's doing something awful, something that can destroy his life, and the lives of people around him, and he can't do anything about it. And he is just horrified. And I think for me, that was seeing that, I was like, heartbroken, because I know that all of this progress that he was seeming to make, and that sort of redemptive arc that you want him to have, you know, you start the show, and you see how depressed he is, you see how much he's struggling, and what you really want to see, what you really crave is this cathartic release of Shinji overcoming those emotions and finding joy, and you get to this episode, and you know that it is not possible ever, is that because of what happened in this episode, he is never going to be okay and that is really hard to watch and i know that this is leading in the direction back towards the movie <laughs> that, <laughs> that i know i know where this is going to kind of end up and i think that's sad i it's so painful to watch and i think that's something that i i had to stop you you were kind of watching me and being like are you okay? (laughs) And I was like, no, no, I can't, I can't watch another episode for (laughs) Mm -hmm. a little bit. Like I need a break because I had that cathartic moment ripped away from me and I know where this is going to go because I've seen it in places in my own life. And I see it in places, you know, when I'm working with people, I see where this can go for some people and, and it's just heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, that totally makes sense. Like that, scene specifically like i should i should mention the first time i actually saw any evangelion stuff was the movies Mm. uh and the movies are at least up to the first one's almost identical to the show the second one there's some big changes but for the most part like the feeling is the same the second movie ends on that scene Mm. uh and it it sucks. It's yeah. really hard to watch.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, especially with the change that they make in the movie, which I won't mention here.
1: I I don't know what it is. So.
0: Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to like, I, I think the metaphor works really well in the imagery of that that scene of. Uh, he's literally watching himself tear down somebody that he cares about, mm-hmm. and feels powerless to to be able to actually stop himself and to be able to pull away from that scene
1: well i think we're gonna take a quick break and then come back and talk some more about evangelion <laughs> That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Welcome back. So now we've talked about all the best depressive stuff. <laughs> uh, shall we keep going?
1: <laughs> I, I have... A little bit less to say about the animation. Just because we've talked about like not wanting to go super strong into the imagery of everything. Just know that there is a lot of biblical references and imagery throughout the entire show. And again, that's been analyzed to death by lots of people. I think that's something that's incredibly hard for me to watch which is something I've talked about before um I am incredibly squeamish I do not watch horror movies I have a real hard time with any action movie that goes kind of in my opinion overboard with like gratuitous violence not for me I I don't even like have any piercings because watching people put their earrings in like makes me nauseous. So if that gives you an idea of <laughs> my my squeamishness, that so it was it was hard for me to watch this series for that reason because while it is not, I wouldn't say it's like the majority of the show. There are some pretty. Intense, violent things that do happen. It's not actually with every time that they fight an angel. Not all of them are so gruesome and.
0: Some of them are like crystal pyramids that just kind of explode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So those are usually fine. I can watch those and not get bothered. But when it starts like showing the imagery of like them. Ripping things or breaking things—that's um, that's when <laughs> I have I really struggle with with watching the show. So um, there's times when I very very much have to just stop watching, and Colin will let me know when <laughs> when I can tune back in.
0: Yeah, they also like to use sound effects a lot <laughs> for things breaking. Yes. Yeah, it's exciting.
1: I do appreciate that they don't shy away from it. Um like I said, it it's not overboard. It's not gratuitous. It's it is well placed and and it's put in times when it's especially important to the character development. So um a lot of the angels that were fought by Shinji as he's kind of like getting more confident and doing better, they're further away from these sort of humanoid-looking angels. They're kind of what you are saying. They're more like...
0: Abstract and... Yes.
1: Yes. Um, and when it starts shifting back to more humanoid or in the beginning when it was more humanoid, that's when, um, a lot of those sound effects and, and, um, more of the imagery come in. And it's important. It's important because it impacts him so much. And you can feel that. And it is hard to feel that with things that don't look natural. And I think they do that on purpose because, You know he's getting all of these fights, and it was a good way to show how he's progressing, but in a way that doesn't make you grow numb to him fighting humanoids. The way that I think a lot of other shows kind of Um, do—they just kind of get you used to people dying, or or even like monsters that look like people dying. And the show really brings back in that humanoid, very disturbing imagery to bother Shinji, but also to bother you.
0: There is a distinct lack of clarity for the viewer on what an Evangelion is. uh, And that's something that frequently comes up is we sort of know that they were kind of taken from the angels there is is a, a piece of biology to them they are like a biological creature more than they are just a robot um and that their dna their essence comes from the first angel and so there is a point very early on where shinji sees like an eye that looks like a human eye uh and he realizes, like, what is this thing that I am piloting? Um, and so, I, I think it's, like you said, they they try to make it disturbing where it counts, mm-hmm. because a lot of this show is just you experiencing what Shinji is. Mm-hmm. Whether that means a lack of information, which Shinji frequently lacks information that is vital to understand what's going on around him, uh, or it's seeing something that Really makes him uncomfortable.
1: Which is most things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One thing I think we should talk about that is much easier for me to stomach is the music. Because it is very different than a lot of the anime that we watch. Especially the intro, uh, which is very good. After watching so many episodes, I definitely, you know, get to a point where I'm like, okay, we've listened to this you know, song like four times already. (laughs) I'm good skipping it. But it's very catchy. It's very upbeat, which is strange because as you're watching the intro, which if you have no plans of watching this show, at least go watch the intro because it is very strange, but in a good way. So the music that's playing is, like I said, very upbeat, very catchy. But the imagery that is going on is something else. It's it's showing you all these kind of rapid clips of stuff that uh, goes on in the show, and it has almost these. It feels like almost subliminal messages. It'll just have these real quick flashes of the disturbing things that are going to happen in the show. Whew!
0: <laughs> it's it's great because especially once you've seen a little bit of the show, and know enough to expect like the kinds of the kinds of stuff that you're about to see uh then that comes in again you're like this makes perfect sense because while we talk about all of these like real disturbing things and and the sort of darker sides of the show it is still an anime Mm -hmm. so there are like uh teenager hijinks (laughs) and there is a penguin yes uh that lives with misato
1: i can't believe we've not talked about (laughs) penguins.
0: sure and uh you know there's there's like all these weird funny kind of quirky anime things going on in the show as well and while that's not like the core of the show um the the intro is kind of a good picture of the overall show because It presents itself as a very typical, like, anime kind of intro with, like, silhouettes of the characters kind of semi-transparent, looking off in the distance whimsically, (laughs) and then a serious shot from up front of the character, and they kind of slide between each other. Uh, And then, yeah, when the, the chorus of the song kicks in, you know, all the characters are happy and excited, and then, flash, there's, like... monster Mm -hmm. and then they're back to anime stuff and there's the penguin and then flash and it says like you know it's this black title card with weird text on it that doesn't make any sense um and that's just kind of like the pace of the show the whole time
1: (laughs) yeah uh it's interesting that you talk about the pacing of the show with the intro because i i see that mirroring it a lot is that it kind of starts off slow and then it kicks into gear and whew, <laughs> like, it's it's pretty intense <laughs> and so uh, I hadn't thought about that about it mirroring in the intro as well
0: yeah so that intro song cruel angel thesis extremely well known it's mm-hmm. kind of like on par with your cowboy bebop intro in mm-hmm. just that a lot of people who know anime can recognize those two songs right right away. Uh, the rest of the score is is also good. Um, there have been a lot of people who have praised the score, and there's again been quite a quite a bit of discussion around that. Personally, I've found it a little cheesy a lot of times. Like there is one song in particular that starts off with these timpani rolls and. That happens, like, the second they realize an angel is there mm, mm-hmm, every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a little cheesy. The rest of the score is is good, like, orchestral kind of just typical, like, action mecca kind of stuff. Uh,
1: one last thing I was going to say about the sound is the sound design in this show is uh, really good. So much so that sometimes it's very upsetting. There's a lot of very strange alien sounds going on a lot of times in the show. Um, And I think that's done really well. Um, Something that I was kind of thinking about is that um, this world is pretty deserted even though they're in the middle of a city, we don't really he- ever hear city sounds. It's, it's actually pretty rare. Um, but one thing you had noted is um, you do hear the sound of cicadas a lot, which you had noted actually shows like that the season hasn't changed at all, um, which just shows a lot of like the timeline of this that it's all happening very rapidly which is very strange and I thought that was like such a important detail um, that was shown by the sound design rather than showing me or telling me in some other way like um, one time they mentioned like oh it's only been like a week but since then they haven't really mentioned how much time has passed since the beginning of the show. And I just thought it was interesting that you were able to point out, like, it's still summer because I can still hear cicadas in the background of these scenes.
0: Yeah, and I, I think their school uniforms haven't changed either. so
1: Right, things that I think we usually spend more time explaining. But otherwise, I think they do a good job of bringing very strange creatures and making them feel very real. And something we've talked about in mech shows is really making you feel the attacks and feel the weight of the attacks, um, which I think the show does really well with its sound design to do that. Uh, Sometimes, very disturbingly so, like you said, there can be these kind of fleshy sounds. Um, The sound always makes me think of like like wet noodles or macaroni. Like if you were to stir macaroni, that's like that sound, that just kind of squishy sound that always upsets me.
0: Hey, good news. <laughs> it was probably literally someone in a studio with like that. Ugh, gross. <laughs>
1: um But you also talked about the breaking sounds and celery. It's still upsetting to hear. <laughs> um, But I think they did a really good job of making, especially the humanoid-looking aliens feel real in that way. That they don't have this sort of superficial distancing. Um, That I think if they did, you know, to make it sound more alien instead of more human-like, it would allow me to disconnect and not feel the impact that Shinji feels. And I think because they took those really realistic sounds... You can really feel the terror that Shinji feels in those moments. And I think that has a lot to do with the sound, more so probably than the animation itself. Though that is
0: also. When you get to some of the more abstract angels, you're talking things like this angel is a shadow. Yeah. It's a big shadow. Mm -hmm. And that's so much harder to quantify. And to express in sound. And so there was a lot of that scene that was silent. Mm. Of Shinji just sitting in the Eva and, like, thinking about his inevitable demise. Yeah. Uh, Or one of the earlier ones is the big pyramid I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And its sound design is that it sings.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that.
0: And I'll uh, drop a clip of that here. Yeah, I think there's uh, some interesting and weird stuff that they did with all the production elements.
1: Yeah, and something that we've talked about with some shows is this show does a really good job of tying all of those things together. That there's a cohesiveness throughout the show, not just with the animation and the sound design, but also with what's going on with the characters is that you can really feel all of those things really well and i i think that says a lot for why the show is received the way that it is because it executed everything with excellence
0: all right so to wrap things up and since this show has been analyzed to death. <laughs> uh, let's just kind of wrap up by talking briefly about maybe how your thoughts and feelings have changed since your original experience and what you think of it now overall. And then I guess the weird question <laughs> is, would you watch more of it?
1: Um, so my I my feelings have changed about this show. Um, only in that I am no longer adamantly opposed to the show uh, for no reason. I am still very bothered by the show. It It is a disturbing show. It is not for the light of heart. Um, it's definitely not something I would recommend if you're, like, going through a whole lot. It would be very heavy and hard to watch. Um, I do still have a hard time stomaching it. There's times where Col and I have been able to watch uh, a few episodes at a time and then he'll be like, oh do you want to watch another And I'm like I, I I can't I cannot watch another one and and we can't watch any more episodes for a few days because I'm really having to to process it and and put it somewhere um, so we'll watch you know a few episodes at a time because they are good but it can quickly, add up and weigh a lot. And so I think it's something that I I still feel, like I said, I still feel really disturbed by it. I still feel really bothered by it. But I think I am now in a place in my life where I can better understand it. Having a better understanding of my own experience with depression and anxiety, I think I have more context in which I can really view this show. And also just being a therapist, I know. <laughs> I I can I can put this somewhere and I can have the skills to be able to process it in a way that I was not able to, you know, back when I was younger and I first experienced it. And I think that helps me a lot to be able to approach this. I'm not gonna watch it alone. <laughs> I still too scared to do that. But to answer the inevitable question, I, I I think I will at least finish it. Um, I imagine with this turn that uh, the show has made, um, I am probably going to watch less episodes at a time because I have a feeling they're going to be harder to digest. But I am willing to see where it goes and see how this journey with Shinji ends. I'm both afraid of that answer and excited for it. Um maybe not excited but hopeful for it. So, we'll see. But I I went from being like I don't want you to talk about this. I'm not going to watch this show. I think it's terrible to I now have context for the show and I can I can now logically understand why this show is so important to anime and how it has shaped a lot of anime viewers in the last 30 years. And I can give it that place.
0: Yeah, and and for me, I think it's just nice that we have a place for it now, at the very least. And who knows how long they're going to keep it because I'm sure it's the most horribly expensive (laughs) license to, to keep right now. Yeah. And not only that, uh, there's a lot of hoops they have to jump through in order to keep it, Mm -hmm. which I think Funimation has experienced with the reboot films. Even even though those are newer and they're actively coming out, it took them over two years, I think, to put out a physical copy of Evangelion 3.0 just because they had to go through so much with... Completely redubbing it and resubbing it based on the requirements of Studio Cara, who is the studio that now owns this property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly, we've heard stories about what Netflix has had to go through in order to uh, get this somewhere mm-hmm. to get it visible, uh, including questionable like language choices. Yes, which are like as obvious as using a form of the word child that doesn't make sense in context. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Um, but either way, like, we, we have it now, mm-hmm. and so I guess that's something. Yeah. And having come from my background of, like, first seeing the reboot films and having it really accessible on a physical disc that I could purchase legally.
2: hmm
0: And then being like... Where did this come from? (laughs) Oh, I can't find it anywhere. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to watch this terrible quality, like, garbage that I found on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And uh, that being, like, my only previous way of seeing this show. Right. And just getting a fresh take on it now is is nice. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Well, I think that wraps us up for now. Maybe when we finish, we'll revisit and talk about it again. But if you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at anamonday.moe. That's anamonday.moe. You can send us questions and comments to podcast at annamonday.moe. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our username is anamondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website.
0: Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the random button, which we did not use this week.
1: <laughs> because but, we were watching on Netflix. <laughs>
0: yeah, and thank you to Netflix for jumping through all of those hoops, I guess. Um, stop rebooting things, please. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not I'm not backing up all their practices. I'm just glad I get to see Evangelion. Fair enough. Uh, but... Yeah, it's great. We have a bunch of anime that we can legally watch now, so uh, that's nice for us. Uh, thanks also to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show. Uh, if you want to learn more about him or hear his music, you can go to his Bandcamp, which I will provide links to in the show notes.
1: Well, thanks for indulging us on our conversation about Evangelion. I know that Colin was really excited to have me watch this and share my thoughts with you guys so hopefully you liked my take
0: yeah i think we enjoy doing these one-off episodes on occasion so it's a nice change of pace yeah uh but thanks for joining us this week and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you next time for our regularly scheduled random (laughs) rolls
1: yeah this is fun we'll see you next
0: week all right bye bye birthday
1: is there you're getting me for my birthday as a fan <laughs> tell the listeners hey
0: support our patreon <laughs> so we can have a fan uh
1: what was i saying long line of trauma
2: lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
1: lucky in line at the deli i guess
0: ha! Uh-huh, in my dentist's office